Here we are with another episode of the Go With John show, and today we have Dr. Canaria with us. Welcome. Thank you, John. Thank you for the opportunity to participate in your podcast. Thank you. Yep, I was looking forward to having you come in for a long time. So tell us a little bit about what you do. So you're a doctor, you have a practice, you're in, where are you located? I'm located in Herndon, Virginia. Okay. So I finished medical school in in 1998 and started Uh practicing medicine in 2001. Okay. I will tell you that to my parents' dismay, I never thought I would have my own practice. Um, never thought that that was in the books for me. I, I enjoyed doing what I did, mm-hmm. doing what I do, and, mm-hmm. and working for somebody. So right. I'm excited to share my story. Great. So where did you go to medical school? So I went to medical school in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I went to Jefferson Medical College. It mm-hmm. actually is a six-year combined program. So I don't know if you know what a combined program is. I have no is. idea. So I went to Penn State for two years, right outside out of uh, high school. Okay. I knew that I was going to be a doctor. Wow. So, so how did like you know that? So it was like a straight shot. So I'm going to make a joke here. Sure. I think I had three choices yep. as a senior in high school. To be a doctor, mm-hmm. to be a constitutional lawyer, mm-hmm. or to be an engineer. This is for my parents. And oh, your parents, parents gave you those yes, options. Yes, okay. So if I didn't want to be a doctor, I could be a constitutional lawyer. Right. Or I could be an engineer. And right. honestly, I really had a skill set that was meant to be a doctor. And I'm joking about this, but you know, I, my parents were immigrants. Mm-hmm. They came to this country in the 1970s. And honestly, they felt that the most important thing was security, right? right? security of a career. So right. being a math teacher might not be the most secure career, right. albeit it's a valuable and necessary you know, occupation. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's when I decided. And honestly, I, I would not look back now. The same question is going to happen. My son is 16 and a half. Right. Will I do that to him? No, because right. we're in a different situation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how, how tough was it growing up with your what kind of a life did you have at home with your parents? And, and, you know, it's really interesting. A lot of the very successful people that have been on this show came from very, very humble beginnings. And I, they were very happy. I had an amazing childhood. Yeah. I had no trauma in my childhood. Mm-hmm. My mom stayed home. She took care of us. I was the oldest of three. Mm-hmm. My dad worked full time. There was never an absence of love. Mm-hmm. Um, I had all my needs met, but did I wear the latest clothes? No. Mm-hmm. Did I shop at fancy stores? No. Did we go on fancy vacations? No. Did you care? Did I care? Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. And I was never wanting for anything. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely appreciated what they did and what they could give me. Right, right. It makes you who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even now, you know, my, my you know, you know, kids, John, mm-hmm. like your son, you, you leave the house. The first thing one is, can I get water? Can we stop somewhere? And I always yeah. make the joke. I said, there were no water bottles when we were growing up. Right. You drank water <laughs> from this tap. Right. Or the creek. Or the yeah, maybe. <laughs> and then you got in the car. Like you didn't stop anywhere. If there, there was no like, there was none of that. There was no yeah. DoorDash and Uber and things like that that we we all have today. It's crazy. I still can't get my head around all that. I can't. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So grew up in Pennsylvania. I grew up in combined Virginia. Program. Nope. I grew oh. up in Virginia. I grew okay. up in Annandale. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know I'm a that. local gal. Wow. Yeah, so. So that's fantastic. What part of Annandale? Which street did uh, you grow uh, Monarch Lane off of Woodburn Road. Wow. Yep. I was, uh, I went to TJ. Nice. For, for high school. And uh, I was a candy striper at Fairfax Hospital. 
Very cool. Very cool. I know. So then you go to college. Go to college. Yep. I was there for two years. So okay. that's And that's a unique, I mean, that's a difference, I would say. You know, it was a good school. It was a great school. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't change it, but it defined who I was. To not have a four-year college experience and you get go straight to medical school. Right. So I was in medical school at age eight, uh, 19. Wow. So I, I was a full-fledged MD by 20. 22. That's amazing. Yes. yes. That's amazing. So, but it changes you, right? So I've right. had a long career. I'm 46. Right. So I've been practicing since 2001. Yes. Right. So I, you know, I may be, you know, the same age. Most people my age have not been practicing as long as me. Right. Right. So you, you get out of college and you go to work where? So first college, med mm-hmm. school, yep. then I was still in Philadelphia where yep. I was at Penn for my training. There's okay. three years, there's four years of college, two years of college, mm-hmm. four years of medical school, and I did three years of training. Right. Okay. That's your internship. That's my internship yep. and residency. Yeah. And then my first job was in Boston at okay. Brigham, Brigham and Women's Hospital. Wow. So, yep. So I how did you get there. that job? I applied to, I knew I wanted to be in academics. Okay. I wanted to be at the best place, right? right and I was right. engaged. My Actually, I got married and my husband was up there too. And he right. was a, he is a physician. He was in training. Mm-hmm. And Boston was an amaz- amazing experience. It was a okay. great job. I worked with super big wigs. Um, you know, it was interesting to be a smaller fish at a big sea. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, I, I wouldn't, it, it really helped me on. You know, I came from an academic setting. I came from Penn, then I went to Boston, and uh, it was wonderful. So it was actually really hard for me to transition back to Northern Virginia after being at, you know, what I would consider one of the meccas of, you know, medical care. So how long were you in Boston? Five years. Five years. So then you come back to Virginia. Yeah. And what did you do when you got to Virginia? When I came back to Virginia, I decided to um, be a hospitalist. Mm-hmm. So hospital medicine, I'm sure you now know, it's mm-hmm. the people who take care of the patients while they're in the hospital. Right. And that was in 2005. Okay. So I was a hospitalist at Fair Oaks Hospital. Right. I decided to do that so that I could meet a lot of people, mm-hmm. meet a lot of doctors. Mm-hmm. I could see how care was rendered mm-hmm. in Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't know what it was like. I didn't want to take another job because leaving a job is is a big deal right you know and you know in medicine people don't leave jobs like mm-hmm. they stay in the same job forever even if they're unhappy mm-hmm. you know i think this generation that's coming out now is probably going to be better at at making changes leaving. and pivoting and leaving <laughs> right. and asking for what they want from the beginning right and that's that's a big deal for like my generation i would say john yeah we weren't and a lot of us, especially female docs, mm-hmm. aren't good at s- telling what we want, sharing what we want. So, ex- so why do you so think that is? I think we signed this oath, the Hippocratic Oath, that right. says that we, you know, are committed to our patients. Mm-hmm. And so that line gets blurred mm-hmm. very easily. Um, that line between, you know, our health and their health. Right. Right. And I still struggle with that now. But in my you know, we'll talk later. But in my current model, I just have fewer patients. Right. So there's I'm able to set boundaries better. Right. But I think it's a really common thing. And, and there's a high high need. Right. Everyone mm-hmm. needs something from you. Mm-hmm. And I think in medicine, it's different than other businesses. And you can I'd love to hear what you think about this. Sure. It, it's almost like you have to help somebody like right. there's no end of your day. It, right. There is a moral obligation 
to assist. Right. And I think I think in real estate, it's very similar. Okay. You know, when you're when you're helping somebody with their um, their their house transaction and they're trying to sell their house or they're trying to buy a house, they can't sleep at night. And, um, you know, you get mm-hmm. that phone call at eight o'clock at night and they're they're worried and they're anxious and you spend half an hour chatting with them and you can bring comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not be able to solve the problem, but you can at least say, you know, here's what your options are. We can do this. We can do that. And really, it's only been in the last I want to say the last five or 10 years where in the real estate contract, the day ends at 9 p.m. So any business that hasn't been conducted before 9 p.m. now goes on the next calendar day. Before that was in the contract, it was not unusual for me to be out at somebody's house at 11 o'clock at night because they couldn't sleep. So I can totally, you know, if you're going to represent people in a real estate transaction and you're going to do it with your heart and you're going to put your heart and your soul into it, when they have a problem, you have a problem. Yes. And you, are, you. So that's exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's a, and it is. I, I remember when we moved here and I remember how many times we texted back and forth and called the, the agent that we used and yeah. our current agent when we sold our house. You know, you're right. You, you, they become like family, especially yeah. when they're good. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, because they, they have the they may not have the answers, but they, at least they have the options. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. And, you know, I think that's half of it, right? Having mm-hmm. someone there that cares, that right. knows what you want, right? Right. And it swallows you up whole. That swallows you up whole. I know. Because you, you need that. Yeah. You need that. And especially yeah. whether it be medicine or real estate. So I would say that... You know, I was looking for the right practice. Yeah. I was looking for the right practice to join, and I actually found it, and I was there for eight years. Right. And so, John, you know, you probably don't know, you know, because people just know the local practices. Sure. But it was a practice in Fairfax. Right. And um, there were two other docs there at the time. And honestly, that was my home for eight years, and I think I grew my practice, my base. Yes. My, my patient base. I established it, and I established my reputation right. with my peer group, right? Mm-hmm. Just like... As an agent, you would establish it within Long and Foster, and then, um, you know, outside of Long and Foster exactly. with different different companies. Yeah, and your reputation is everything. Yeah, and that Same took rules. a while. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and you know what? You have to go the extra mile every single time. Yep, it's it the, doesn't matter. Yep. and so I did it then, and I have to continue to do it now, and yep. it just becomes a way of living, mm-hmm. sort of, mm-hmm. and you know, your sort of your creed. Yes. Yep. Yep, exactly. So you were at this practice for eight years, and then what? Yes. So that's that's what the pivotal moment. Again, I don't know if there's an analogy in real estate, but medicine is changing and has changed quite a bit. Yes. And it is increasingly being managed. And I felt like I didn't want to sacrifice being the patient-centric focus that I had mm-hmm. just because we were managed. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to lose sight of the patient. And I felt, and you know, I think this is sort of just what people feel. I felt that I could do it better. Right. right? So when you say you were managed, what does that mean? So managed means um, when you work within a company, mm-hmm. it, it's really not even the practice. We were part of a physician organization, physician right. management group. And the goal of that is really to maximize outcomes. Outcomes means avoid hospitalizations, right. reduce illness, reduce um, hospital days, uh, medication use. I mean, so increase revenue, increase revenue, right? Reduce need of insurance to pay out. Right. Okay. So when you do that, 
what happens? You have to document. Mm-hmm. You have there's just a lot of I'm going to call it nonsense. I understand why, right. but you have to be efficient when you do it. Mm-hmm. You have to be efficient, and then you have to continue to be patient focused, mm-hmm. right? You can't mm-hmm. just be typing and getting all this data. Right. And so that was I found that I felt like I could have done it better. Mm-hmm. That was in my head, but that was what drove me to to leave that practice and join and start my own. Right. So was it was it was there was there a part of you that also said that I can create a better life for myself? There's got to be a better way. Did you have so burdens or stresses at night when you got home that you said, you know what? There's got to be a better way to live. You know, I'm going to really tell you, I my life was my lifestyle was I was I was okay with my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked hard. Financially, I was I never thought about it from a financial standpoint. I'm going to be right. really honest with you. Sure. What drove me was wanting to be able to continue to go the extra mile mm-hmm. and continue to keep my reputation where it was right. and be surrounded by like-minded people who felt that there was a mission. Right. And I didn't feel that in my current in that practice. I felt that people were jaded. Yep. And in most practices, people are jaded, right? right? They've had their own experiences. They've been in the healthcare field for a long time. So they their outlook on patient care is, you know, they don't have to make eye contact, maybe. Mm-hmm. They can be, they don't have to say the please and thank you, right? Mm-hmm. There's just mm-hmm. even more of that. And mm-hmm. to me, that's really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that creates a sense of trust. Right. And then that trust, even at the front end, helps me mm-hmm. at the back end, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I felt that that whole interaction, I wanted to own it. Yes. And kind of weigh into it and define it, if you yeah. will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I knew that was a big undertaking. Yes. But, and and I was, ex- I was discouraged. Yeah, by who? Uh, I was discouraged by, you know, the accountable care organization I was part of, the management, right. they said, really, no docs going on their own right now, right? Right, right. No one, you know, friends were like, you know, your, your kids are going into high school. Yeah. Do you really want to do this? This is, they need you. Yeah, this is really important what you're telling yeah, me right now. Yeah, like I was definitely, um, I was, my husband did not discourage me. He was my biggest advocate. My yeah. parents and my, my family were my biggest advocate. That's fantastic. But I would say that uh, I was... People would always just say, "Are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. You should, it's okay where you are. Right? It's, is it that bad?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, but, the reason the reason yeah. I'm laughing, it's been really almost every single thing, especially when I was young, because I don't listen to anybody anymore when they tell me you can't do that or it's not going to work. Because, but yeah. but every single thing I've ever tried to do in my life, when I share it and I'm excited about it and I'm telling people that I want to do it, the, the naysayers, you are surrounded by naysayers in this world. And I, I don't really understand what it is. Do they, do they genuinely care about you? Do they, are they really worried that you're gonna fail? Or are they afraid you're going to succeed? I really don't know what the answer is or why there's so many naysayers around. But, but, I, but I think the, the people that are successful, when, when you hear stories like this, I hear this kind of a story over and over and over again. Everybody told me I couldn't do it, it wouldn't work. And you know, so congratulations for listening to your own inner voice and pushing through. Right, That's, and I, I think you're right. I mean, there's so many reasons for naysayers. I think in mine, it was more risk aversion, right? Yeah. You know, it's a lot of work. Do you really wanna go do that, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. is it really that bad? And honestly, it was the best thing I ever did. And I think the reason is 
it allowed me to learn how to take a risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's let's just start there. Right. As a human being, I'm able to take a risk. Right. It changed me as a person. Doesn't it feel good? It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. and it it gave me more confidence in myself. Yeah. And you didn't really have any business experience. Zero. And you had no business classes in your school, really. No, just zero. the basic zero. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. So yeah. so so that but, was bold. But there was an algorithm. Yeah. Okay. There was an algorithm in the sense that. I just followed a list yeah. of what I needed to do. So Dr. Canary, that is really amazing and uh, so impressive that you just uh, went out and, and started your own business. So we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, let's learn more about the steps you took to get your practice started. So we're here today with Dr. Canaria. We'll be right back. All right, we are back with Dr. Canaria, and thank you so much for sharing uh, your story. It was uh, it was it was great to hear that, and it's always nice to hear how the parents' influence and their foundation is laid for success later in life. So it's pretty amazing. So tell us how. So so you you were at a great practice, and you wanted to go out and start your own business. So how'd you do it? Yep. So first of all, I think I, I was determined. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I made a landing page. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't solicit my patients, so I made a landing page, and uh, patients could find me. Right. Right. I had a friend who helped me uh, manage those patients and those messages, ensuring you know, assuring them that I was going to be right back. So I right. knew that people wanted me back. Yeah. I mean, I got some phone calls when I left that practice. I left kind of abruptly. I had people call my my dad to wow. find out where I was. Wow. Um, this gentleman who had been taking care, he says, she's my doctor. Yeah. Where is she? <laughs> you know, right, I had right. someone drive to my house. They looked me up my to make sure I was still okay. Wow. I mean, so I got a lot of love during that time. And then yeah. I realized even more so that I had a mission yes. to come back. Right. Yeah. Like it wasn't just I couldn't just take a take a break, right? right? I had some friends say, "Take a break, take a year off." Yeah, and I said I can't. I mean, yeah. they people need me back. Exactly. So I I had to get find space first of all, right? right. And at first I thought, mm, I want us to have a beautiful space, like you know, aesthetically pleasing, right. you know, a beverage station in the yeah. in the waiting room. And you know, that's not financially feasible when you're starting out. Correct. Yeah. And you know, John, John, I think you've actually been to my yes. space before, my I have first seen it. space. Yeah. And uh, a dear friend, um, physician friend, um, offered to lease me space at right. a very reasonable price. And I was there for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And it was a very simple space. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't call it threadbare, but it was very simple. Right. And nothing fancy about it. You know, it, it, the furniture was probably from my my father-in-law's practice, mm-hmm. urology practice in Pennsylvania. Like wow. literally it was 20 plus years old. Yeah. Never did a patient once comment on the way it looked. Sure. Never. Because it's really not about that. It wasn't about that. It's the human connection. It. I never got a comment once. Right. You know, oh my gosh, this doesn't look nice. Is this new? Is this not? Because it was mm-hmm. neat, mm-hmm. right? It was neat and clean. Right. And that's when I realized, you know, that they don't care about the fluffy, right? right? So I just needed to focus on getting the billing, getting the staff, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and then holding on to the patients. Right. So website, 
Office space. Office space. Staff. And then staff. Staff. And then equipment. And then equipment. That's yep. a lot of ground to cover. Yep. But you know, I will tell you the hardest part was staff. Yeah. Because I that's really makes or breaks a business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, have you had those kinds of struggles? In we your, have, yeah. yeah. And it, well, in fact, I think that that's that, and you and I have uh, talked in our business discussions about how difficult it is with, with people. We've had we've had periods of time. Uh, you know, I bring Nick into the conversation routinely on the on the podcast, but Nick has been in many, many, many HR meetings with me, and it's really. It's really so hard. You got to have the right people that fit with your personality, with your management style, you know, and I'm really a hands off, you know, manager. You know, I give people policies and procedures and direction, but I don't really stand behind people and make sure they do their stuff. So if you have somebody who's not going to read and follow the processes, then we have a problem. Right. So unfortunately, I've gone through some difficult times where. Uh, we, we didn't have uh, the right folks with us and we had to work through it. Yeah. And, and, but, but it is everything. I mean, yeah. I think the folks that you work with um, make or break your career, I think, for me, my day, yeah. my business day. Yeah, and they're also your tribe. Yeah. They're your people. They so are. So it's not just that they're, you know, the people that do things for your pay, for your product, right? Right. For your business. They really are your people. And I think when you realize that, so I, I knew that I wanted people who felt the same way about patients. Mm-hmm and that were um, as hardworking. And I mm-hmm. knew that I had to model that hard work, which yes. I was willing to do. Yep. So, you know, I would say that it took me a long time to ever leave before my employees. Right. I, I would say that probably happened in the last year and a half. Like it was not a common occurrence. Right. And, you know, I, I it was funny because in the beginning, I would be the person that would turn the lights on, take the trash out, yeah. do everything, yes. literally. Yeah. And I, I remember telling myself that I would know that I've made it or progressed when I wasn't the person doing those things. Right. right? And uh, I finding the right people and, and understanding how to hire people, you know, not falling for, you know, just, just doing enough research and understanding who's going to be a right fit, what's, yes. what they need, right? And that's impossible to predict. And it's, I've learned that, yeah. I've learned that, but I've also realized that if it doesn't work out, it's okay, you just get back and find the right person, right. you know? Right. And the people I have now and the people I've had, I really am lucky, John, like yeah. really lucky. I try to find people who I can take care of, right? who then take care of me and take care of my patients. Yeah. And, that's, and they know what I want. Um, I, my nurse right now, Emily, she's always, you know, when she's training someone new, she'll say, Dr. Canaria loves it when people write things down. Right. They want to know that you're learning and picking up stuff. So you, if, you know, if she says anything, make sure you're writing it down. Right. Because she does not w- want you to believe that you can remember it in your well, brain. Well, you can't. And we yeah. have that. I, I mean, I yeah, think I'm we, like very big on that. Like, yeah. write it. If I'm talking, please write it down. Yes. Like, I need to see you writing. Yes. We have that rule here oh, do as you? well. Somebody really? better. Yeah. When we're having a me- meeting, somebody better be taking minutes. Yeah. There, there is <laughs> yeah. not this like memory thing going no, on. No, it doesn't right? exist because yeah. everybody remembers what they want to remember. Yeah. Yeah. And they remember it how they want to remember yep. it. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. Uh, I would say I'm different than you, John, because I didn't delegate because the product was me. Of course. Like I was yeah. the product. So that that is something that I have learned now. Yeah. And it took me much longer, four years. Yeah. I would say four to five years. Whereas you had, you know, I think some people are better at it. And it took me adding another physician mm-hmm. to be able to learn, you know, her saying to me, 
Shalini, why are you, why are you doing that? Yeah, but we're not we're not that different because yeah. I I you know when I went into real estate I did everything myself. I was answering at one point 150 emails a day, not not to 150 okay. different people, yes. but you get conversations yes. going. Yes. And at the end of the year, I, I save all my emails and uh, for three years anyway. But I back them all up, and and you know, and then I could divide by 365 because I think that's how many days we have in a year. And I would get the answer to uh, how many emails I was doing in a day. So when I hired my first uh, assistant mm -hmm. part time way back in the day, and she's still with me today. Oh my gosh! Uh, I don't know how many years ago that that is, but we were we were doing 150 emails a day, and that first hire was the, was the hardest one. But I did everything myself and answered every phone call, answered every question, went to every single listing appointment, went to every single settlement, did, you know, just, just like Lillian yes. Jorgensen, my mom does today. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's, it's, I've grown to the point where I'm forced to delegate and I yes. don't really like delegating and that's really my own, um, my own, one of my flaws is that a lot of times I can do it myself faster than I can explain to somebody else how to right, do it. Right, and, and that, I think about that. Yeah. And I think about that and I think I am doing a disservice if I'm just doing it faster. Exactly. So I'm catching myself now and saying, it'll take me two steps or three steps more to tell someone right. and teach someone a, they'll learn something, yes. and the business will ev eventually be more efficient. Correct. And so I'm telling myself that, but it's an active thought process it's that hard. happens. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And you keep growing, you'll get forced into it. That's you know? true. That's yeah, true, because you just have, can't. You have no choice. Well, because you can't answer those emails, and then right. they email somebody else, and they say, could you help me with this? Yes, exactly. <laughs> She's not responding. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, so. so you said you were going to feel successful when you weren't the one taking out the trash anymore yeah. was so that, that really a, a benchmark that you had for yourself it, it's a it's a it's i'm being facetious when i, I know you say are. that yeah. um i would say that my success didn't come though after i transitioned to my own practice of course i was doing that for from 2016 until 2018 right and John, I kid you not, like it was like you described. I was seeing 23 to 25 people a day. Right. Um, charting and note taking and documenting and answering phone calls for several hours more. Yep. And I had a good staff. I mean, it's not like I didn't have, I had, you know, front desk, I had medical assistants, mm -hmm. I had a nurse, but it was too many patients, too right. much to do, to do it the way that my brain likes to do right. it. Right. And your heart. Yeah. And my heart. Right. Yeah. You know, and that was tough. And I went through a really tough period where I thought, I just don't think I can do this. Like, mm -hmm. this is really hard. And it's hard because n my patients wanted me, mm -hmm. and I hadn't trained them well enough to be able to be okay with a physician assistant or mm -hmm. a, what we call mid-level you know, sure. person, like a, a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner. Then it was really hard to find an associate. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thrilled. I was looking. And mm -hmm. you know what? People didn't want to jump into the fire with me. Right. 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 I mean, it's, can you blame them? No. Because you're crazy. No. You started your own business. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, you know, and when I would, you know, when I was interviewing other physicians, the first question they would ask me was, when are you going to a concierge model? Right. And I was thinking, okay, I'm really sorry. That's not what I'm looking for right now. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for someone who wants to do what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And it just increasingly became evident that the practice was not going to grow right. in this model. Yes. Yeah. And then my lifestyle wasn't going to change. And right. my family was suffering. 
My right. kids were suffering. And actually, I was suffering. Right. And so that's where you get to the point yes. that I was looking for before, where yes. you start to tell yourself, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Yeah. And so I think my husband and I had a heart-to-heart where he said, look, something has got to change, and this is for you. Like, right. You're not seeing your kids grow up. You're just working all the time. And that's when I realized that I was okay. I, I was mentally, morally, professionally okay, mm-hmm. stepping away from the fee-for-service model using mm-hmm. with insurance alone mm-hmm. and transitioning to a practice, telling my patients that I could possibly no longer see them if they couldn't pay a fee. Right. And that was hard. Yeah. That was probably one of the hardest things I had to do. Yeah. So what percentage of your patients do you think you lost when you transitioned? So to- I, I, I probably had 1,500 patients. Right. 2,000 patients. And I lost at least a third. Wow. If not, yeah, a third. Wow. Yeah. And that was really hard because I care about so many of them. Right. If I go anywhere, sometimes I will see people that I Mm -hmm. used to take care of. Mm -hmm. And many of them have migrated back, you know, to me for a variety of reasons. And that's always just so wonderful. It's like meeting an old friend. Right. Right. You know, that they said, okay, well, I'll stick it out for this practice or I'll go here or their insurance wasn't the one that we, we take. And then they're back when they hit Medicare age. And it's just mm-hmm. like seeing an old, it really is like seeing an old yeah, friend. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it is yeah. really nice. And it, it was sad. Um, but you have to, you know, I also gained by um, being able to do well for the patients I had. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's so much satisfaction I've gotten in the last couple of years in this new model. Right. I am able to do home visits at times. Mm-hmm. I'm able to go see patients in the hospital. Mm-hmm. and be much more involved in their care. Mm-hmm. I'm able to do research and call doctors and get, you know, get some knowledge about what needs to happen for this patient, right. facilitate their appointments. Yeah. I can pay my staff well enough to do these things and they not bat an eye. Right, right. right? And not be looking for another job when I'm, you know, right. when and I'm not, not there. Complacent, and they're right, and they're not complacent. And I think, yeah, you, you've, you, yeah, you've started to find the secret sauce. Yeah. Your and, secret sauce. Yep, yep. Yeah. And then, you know... So, so what? So what? So your biggest challenge was staffing, and, and well, and the transition. The transition. The transition. Okay, that and was so your biggest to, challenge. To the concierge model, and yeah. just how to execute it in a way that people, patients, understood why. And mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, like I feel like most of my patients understood why. Right. They said to me, you know, I got a letter once from somebody who said, "I don't know how you've been doing it for so long." Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, gosh, like, because I wouldn't talk about how I'm doing, right? That right. is not, it's irrelevant to their health, right? Right, right. But I had so many people that actually cared about how I was doing. And that, that really, it was very emotional mm-hmm. because it was the first time that I expressed my inner feelings, myself to people that I had been caring for right. for 10 plus years. Right, right. Amazing. Yeah. It was really, I think it was important to go through. if you will, because I had an option of having somebody from the business that allowed me, that helped me do the transition. They're Mm -hmm. called special docs, special Mm -hmm. docs consultants. And I was really, I was really anxious about the transition. And Terry Bauer, the CEO of special docs said, Shani, we'll take care of you, whatever you need. I said, I want someone from special docs in the office explaining it to the patients. And he said, okay, we will rotate our staff. We'll make it happen. Wow. As it came closer, I said, Terry, I don't want it because mm-hmm. I want to be the person who tells each person right. the why. 
Right. Now the why took me like five minutes to spit out. And so every patient I was running over time because I didn't start it. I'm transitioning. I started like way back. Yeah. (laughs) The whole story. (laughs) And then I I think at some point my I think patient my friends were like, You've got to shorten the spiel. Right. Like you cannot go back to like you know, 1972. 1972, (laughs) and then finally come to it, they've like lost the whole story. Right, right, right. You know, so that, 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 but that was my own, that was my own evolution. But that's who you are. That was my evolution. Yeah. That that took time. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Great story. So we are going to take another quick break. So we're we're with uh, Dr. Canaria, and uh, thank you for sharing all that. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. All right, we are back with Dr. Canaria, and thank you again for coming in. I'm really enjoying our uh, our conversation today. Thank you, today. John. Thank you. So we're we're coming. I don't know if we're coming to the tail end of COVID, but we've been 18 months now in our COVID world. So t- tell me, how did that impact you, and what did you do to get through it? And you know, what is your what is your vision for uh, the reality of medicine in, in today's world? I mean, first of all, probably similar to you, it was just hard to believe that it was happening, right? I wasn't mm-hmm. one of the people that could have said I predicted it. I don't um, think anybody could. Anybody? Yeah, there uh, are people uh, that said that, right? Yeah. That they predicted something like this was due or bound to happen. Yeah. Maybe it was the scientists or you know right. the specialists, but uh, I just still remember someone coming into my office saying, "There's something called COVID-19, right? And you're not <laughs> going to be able to get medications." And I was right. thinking, "What yeah. is this?" Right. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, it was a rough year. And again, back to the whole comment about staff. I had amazing staff Mm -hmm. that helped us pivot as we needed to to do so. We were working from home for about two weeks, three weeks initially um, in March when everything kind of started up. And then we slowly started coming back in. Right. Um, And there were people that didn't feel comfortable, I'm sure, in your business that didn't feel comfortable you know, in person. And right. so they worked from, from home. We've done almost yeah. everything remotely yep. and, we, and we're going to continue. And we'll yep. talk more about that as we go on yeah. with this conversation. But yeah. And there was a period of time where I was the person coming in because I wanted to make sure that people knew that I wanted to still help them. Right. And so there was a, a gentleman who's a patient of mine who had palpitations and mm-hmm. he, I really, he didn't feel well. He felt short of breath. And I mm-hmm. said, let me evaluate you first because mm-hmm. I really don't want to send you to the emergency room and overload the ER. Right. And like just dump you on the ER because I'm so scared of COVID, right? right? And there could be somebody- And there could be somebody it, else that have something else that they're dealing with. Exactly. So he came yeah. in, I did the EKG, I evaluated him. He actually had a heart rhythm issue right. and I got him straight to the cardiologist. So he right. avoided the ER. And nice. it was just, it made me feel like I was not worsening the healthcare problem, right. if you will. Right. Um, the other thing that really helped was telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, telemedicine's been around for a while but insurance hasn't really picked, you know, pick, picked it up. Mm-hmm. And so doctors really were uh, resistant to using it because the cost of the technology was you know, a certain amount. And then mm-hmm. you, you have that, then you have patient resistance to new technology, right. and then you have insurance reimbursement. Right. And really the people that you would, would have used it you know, would have been the elderly because yeah. there's so many times when someone can't make it and can't get in and you just want to lay eyes on someone. Mm-hmm. So, Telemedicine just took off, um, mm-hmm. and you know, insurance companies and Medicare basically said we would reimburse, right? We'd reimburse, right. and all things COVID-related would almost be free, right? right. No copays for COVID testing and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, 
again, my business model allowed me to not worry about how many visits I was seeing per day because we our, our income wasn't you know determined by that. Right. So we had days that we were just doing phone calls all day or yeah. telemedicine or um, you know just emails, right? And mm-hmm. it wasn't really didn't affect my it did not affect my bottom line mm-hmm. like it did a a traditional primary care physician. Right, right. And there's a lot of people that whose practice is closed and they really were unable to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, for telemedicine, it's amazing what you can diagnose. Mm-hmm. Uh, via video. I mean, right. I've done, I've seen everything, really. And uh, it, it's just, you can really help somebody. And especially if you know them well enough, mm-hmm. right? I think mm-hmm. that's a big difference. Um, you know, there's those teledoc practices out there now. Right. And insurance companies oftentimes have their own providers. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great in a pinch to reduce like ER visits and things like right. that. And maybe for younger people, yeah. right? That may not have yep. some issue. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, I used it, you'd be surprised, mental health. There was so much anxiety and depression during the pandemic, mm-hmm. especially for patients or people that were older yeah. and were lonely, that didn't yeah. have family. Let's say their grandkids couldn't see them because mm-hmm. you know they were separated. Mm-hmm. So that, it, you know, it was really helpful to be able to at least see your doctor, talk to your doctor, you know, be able to do a little therapy and, and you know, just provide support um, mm-hmm. during that time. We also did these, uh, not, not similar to this, but sort of a town hall, um, Zoom meetings once every couple of weeks over right. the last year. So how many people joined in on those? I would say 50 to 100. Right. Yeah. And right. so, and then we just put That's it on. That's a our, lot of people. And then we put it on our website. Right. The video. And, yep. And okay. we had pulmonologists come on. We had right. some um, who were dealing with COVID. And so they gave us a perspective of the hospital. Mm-hmm. We had infectious disease come on. Right. And so mm-hmm. we had different types of, we had a GI doc, GI, you know, effects of COVID. They were all local docs. Mm-hmm. Some of them actually were were docs of patients, you know, that we were, you know, that we had in our practice. So right. it was kind of cool for them to say, hey, that's, that's Dr. Valley. He's my doc or, yeah. you know, um, and it was, it was fun. Right. It was really fun. It took a lot of work though. Yeah. But you got to have fun. It yeah. was, you know, it was a new world and I think, it, I think it, it hit us all by surprise. So how quickly did you get that up and running? Uh, I would say by April or May. Yeah. And, so pretty quickly. Yep. Yeah. And then the other thing was, is that I had hired a new physician. Yeah. In and she hired her before the pandemic. Right, just before? Just before. You knew it was coming. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, um, and, and honestly, she is amazing. She yeah. is, uh, you know, I can't really say more about how wonderful she is and what how great my practice is now with her in it. Yeah. But it was hard because she, you know, people weren't really looking for new doctors, right? Everyone right. was kind of locked down at that moment, right? right? They were right. just kind of like, you know, just settling in, like almost hibernating until to write it out. Yep. So her practice has started to take off kind of later in the pandemic. Right. You know? Good. Good. So. good. So, so on the, on the, uh, so, but I think the, the, the video and the, 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 what did you call it? We called it town halls. Town halls. And then what do you call your system that you use for meeting a yeah, patient? We sh- that was, it was Doxy.me. So we did Dox- our, okay. yeah, we used Doxy.me. And if you go to our website, you know, lifetimeinternalmedicine.com, and you click on the top right. Right. It says physician. It says patient waiting rooms. Yes. Virtual waiting rooms. Yeah. And you click there. I mean, it's just so neat. Yeah. You click there, and it says you're entered Dr. Canaria's waiting room. Yes. Please, she will be with you shortly. Yes. Yes. Just gotcha. So neat. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's so neat. That is. Yeah. That's cool. Now, the whole experience by video is improved if you have a relationship with the person already, right? I so you think don't want so. you don't think video is going to replace in-person meetings. 
I think that they have a role. I mean, they can be, especially when you're dealing with blood pressure and mm-hmm. cholesterol. But I think you just like John, you say you like to do this in person. Right. Exactly. It is a. I think there's a different experience in person mm-hmm. with somebody when you're mm-hmm. looking them straight in the eye, and you can really help them move the needle to getting mm-hmm. better. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Therapists, for example, there's been a lo- there's a lot of therapists out there that are doing everything virtually right. because of you know they can now, but patients want to see somebody. Right. They want to see them, you know, face to face. There's an energy in there's the room. An energy. There's a sense yeah. of support. There's a sense of like you know not being alone in this world. Mm-hmm. So, do you think you'll ever go back to no video? Or do you think you'll always have this video as part of your program going forward now because I don't COVID. think we can. I don't think we have a choice not to. I, I agree with it's, you. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and patients ask for it. Can I yeah. do a virtual with Dr. Canaria? It's so much Can easier. I do a phone call? Can yeah. I do a virtual, you know, and, and you can do it from your house if you're right. not at work if, yep. for some or, reason. Or your phone. Or your, yeah. 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 I've, done, I've done it from uh, the car. And it's not, you know, you know, waiting for my daughter who plays soccer. Yeah. Um, and it just, there's too much bright light. Yeah, so yeah, 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 I prefer yeah. being in a professionally sort of sure. set up. Yeah, you got to be in the zone. You have to sure. be in the zone. Exactly. Yeah, the, the, the amazing thing is that in, in, in our industry, when COVID hit, we had to pivot immediately to video meetings. And it was really hard. And it, it reminded me of when the internet was kind of first born, uh, because I was in business long before there was ever an internet. And, 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 I, and I missed, yeah, I missed those days. I don't, I don't think I, we, I don't really think we got started up on the internet really to the late nineties. I know it was around and, mm-hmm. but the late nineties, you were getting kind of forced onto it. And, uh, there were just a lot of problems. It was really glitchy. And it was just like when COVID first hit, there was weeks and weeks and weeks that the internet was just so overloaded with people. Yeah. You know, you'd be having video meetings and it would be like glitchy, staticky, you know, people were dropping off and, True. you know, now it's pretty reliable and you know thank god for all the amazing engineers out there which you passed on that profession but uh who were able to um uh, pull the internet together relatively quickly so we could all function but but everything is a lot better for us you know when we do floor plan reviews and things like that we share our screen and we can have four or five people looking at the same screen at the same time from different locations where before we used to have to all get together in a conference room, pass floor plans around a room, do sketches. And, you know, with this COVID, it forced us to do things online and we've learned it's much better online and we'll never go back to the old way. You know, the other thing that's really been neat, it's made the world a little smaller. Yes. So, for example, I feel like I have access two people and specialists that aren't just in Northern Virginia yeah. because it's all about licensure in medicine and in yeah. the healthcare. So you have to be licensed in Virginia. Right. I have college kids that I see that see maybe a psychiatrist and they're going to school, let's say in Al- Albany. Right. So I found somebody who is licensed in like Albany and New York mm-hmm. that, you know, she's mostly in New York right. that could see her. It's not right. just limited to Northern Virginia to Virginia. So yeah. it's it's really neat. And then, you know, patients that are older and sick, if they can't make it, it's so nice to be able to do a virtual visit yes. to discuss the problem. And if it can be solved right. by a specialist, yeah. you know, and you don't have to trek to Hopkins or Georgetown, yeah. Yeah. you know, my mom was in the hospital recently and she had her follow up virtually. How mm-hmm. wonderful is that? It is. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just, it's, it's just life changing, yeah. you know? Agreed. So we were all ready for a change. We just didn't know it. I know. Yeah, I yeah. know. We've learned a lot, right? Yeah, we sure you have. Know, without wanting to. That's right. Some, some. It's a, who moved my cheese, right? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I know. 
Yeah. And I think it's not, the world has changed permanently, right? In terms I agree. Of the, in terms yeah. of business, the Completely. business world, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important to still continue face-to-face. For mm-hmm. me, I'm motivated by seeing people. Mm-hmm. So when I'm at home, I don't feel the same excitement. Like, mm-hmm. I love seeing people in person. I love right. the rapport. Right. And I think you're the same way, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yep. yep. And I think most successful business people are that way. I love, I mean, I'm motivated by just my cause, like what I'm doing. And yes. knowing that what I'm doing is worthwhile and it mm-hmm. serves a purpose and that the people around me look to me to for that guidance and that sort of mission-mindedness, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I'm ever sort of having a day, I make sure I realize, wait a second. I mean, I'm allowed to have a day, right? Right. But a day I, when things are not necessarily going your way. Right. right? Or, yeah. you know, there's something happening in your own personal life or right. whatnot. But at the end of the day, you realize that person is here for your advice, your mm-hmm. recommendations. And mm-hmm. it's it's a wonderful feeling to, to have that person be there, mm-hmm. you know, and looking to you for, you know, advice and assistance. And then you realize that, like, that's what you've created, mm-hmm. right? And you walk into work and you're like, this is what I've created. It's such a wonderful thing. It's really. pretty amazing what it's, you've done. It's very it's, impressive. Thank you. Thank you. It's very it's, impressive. Uh, it's definitely a labor of love. Mm-hmm. And it's my home. In fact, um, I remember when we first moved into it. So we have a new space we, yep. we moved into in 2018. And I remember one one person who was working with me said, "Gosh, this is so nice. I feel like I should take my shoes off." Yeah. You know. And I said, and then I think she went to go see the old space, which we talked about. Yeah. And she was like, "Wow, those were humble beginnings." And it right. felt neat to to see the growth yeah. for that person. Yeah. You know that it, we didn't just have the fancy space first. Right. Exactly. And I yeah. think that was going back to what I was talking about at the beginning. Yeah. You know, what was your childhood like? And yes. Yes. How to, you know, it does. It does. To me, it always feels good to be able to take a step. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So that's wonderful. Dr. Canaria, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing your uh, story with us. Thank you, John. Thank you. I feel honored to be asked to speak um, and join you. You're an amazing business person and a great friend. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for joining in on this episode of the Go With John Show. Now go out there and build something extraordinary.